This is Michael Miracle, producer of the I Work For Him radio program. Thanks for listening to the I Work For Him podcast. You can catch the show live weekdays from 3 o'clock until 4, locally in Tampa Bay on AM 570 and 910 WTBN and online at letstalkfaith.com and iheartradio.com. And swing by our website for all things I Work For Him at iworkforhim.com. That's iwork4him.com. And now, today's podcast broadcast. You've tuned into the fastest one hour in Christian talk radio. Thanks for tuning in to I Work For Him this afternoon. As you hear our show, just know that you've been prayed for. Know that every day before we start the show, I pray that something we say today on the air will cause you to look at your job differently, that it'll cause you to look at the way you connect what you hear on Sunday with what you do on Monday through Friday or whatever your work hours are, that you understand the connectedness between them, that you understand that your workplace, it's your mission field. And in that mission field, you, me, we may be the only Jesus our coworkers and employees may ever meet. The job that you hold, the work that you do, the people that you work with, none of that is by chance. Those people that you work with, they need to meet Jesus, and you may be their only chance. You know, everybody wonders if their job has meaning and purpose. We all wonder if, they're, if we're just there to obtain a paycheck. There has to be more. There's got to be more. There has to be an answer as to why I am here, why I am doing what I do. Today, we take a brand new look at the job that you hold and the work that you do. John Van Sloten joins us today in our workroom as we talk about his latest book, Every Job a Parable. See how your job tells a story, a parable, which in turn tells us about God. John Van Sloten, welcome to I Work For Him. Jim, thank you for having me. I'm excited. You know, as I read your book, and yes, I read your book from cover to cover. That's as I read start. your book, it's, it's amazing because you did such a great job of grabbing so many different examples so that when anybody who reads your book is going to be able to find something that will tell them that their job has meaning. And I love that. But before we get into your book, you're a pulpit pastor. How did you come to the realization that peop- that the people you serve in your congregation needed to connect what they hear on Sunday with what they do in their nine to five, needed to connect and find meaning in their work and to know that God really loves their work? I wish I could say I had a uh, solid training in, uh, in a robust theology of vocation that I got from the seminary, which I then translated into uh, my 20 years of uh, pastoring, but that was not the case. I think uh, I tripped into it. Um, for the last 20 years, our church has been exploring um, God's revelation from, a, from, a, from an enhanced perspective, we believe, in our denomination, I think all churches do, that God speaks through the Bible and God speaks through creation. And this whole idea of God speaking through the book of creation has been uh, brewing in me for, for a long time as a preacher. And I uh, used to preach a lot of sermons on pop culture, looking for the whispers of the Spirit through contemporary music or film, uh, through the lens of Scripture, trying to listen for God in pulp culture in the broader world. And um, as I did that, um, we eventually kind of moved moved into preaching God's truth as it's found through science um, and what he says through the nature of stars and, and the nature of the universe. And then um, as I was preaching science sermons, I started to notice the scientists themselves. And 
that they uh, had passions and aptitudes and capacities uh, as human beings, imaging the vocational nature of God, that seemed familiar, that uh, pointed in an iconic, uh, parable-like way to who their maker was. So that was a big aha moment for me, which then led to uh, dozens of different sermons, uh, like the ones you've mentioned. I've preached on engineers, to stylists, to scientists, to sanitation workers, and uh, everything in in between. Um, And the motivation, again, uh, was initially, um, yes, that people would find meaning, yes, that they would, uh, you know, find significance in their jobs, but it was the primary motivation was so that they could know God more. If human beings vocationally image a working God, then could it be that in those moments where work is good or right or meaningful or or doing something, accomplishing something in the world, that's a place where we can actually experience God, kind of like how we do at church on Sundays. I love that. I love that. Hey, today we're talking with John Van Sloten about his brand new book that's out, Every Job a Parable. And we're going to give away several copies of this after the next break. Make sure you get your phone numbers all dialed up and ready to go or your emailer. All right, so here's my question, though. As you started doing that sermon series where you said you've preached dozens of sermons about dozens of different vocations, how has your congregation reacted? Because I got a feeling how I would react. I mean, I'd be... I don't know, I'd be putting the red carpet out for you, just thinking, this is amazing. I can't believe I'm part of a church like this. How does your congregation react when you start to highlight these different vocations? Yeah, I get a sense that this is a bit of a passion for you, Jim. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay, Uh, I'm on the air talking about it, yeah. Maybe not for everybody in our congregation equally. Uh, I think the theologian in me gets totally stoked about uh, a theology of vocation and just, you know, all these unique ways that God is imaged through all of these jobs. It's just compelling for me. Um, But the congregation, um, the reactions have been very positive, and I have I didn't preach them all back to back. I preached them over, you know, seven or eight years okay. uh, intermittently. But, you know, the, I, I, what comes to mind is the geophysicist who, after we preached, we preached, he did the introduction of the sermon, not just a primer or a geophysics 101. He did the introduction, and I preached the theology of geophysics at the end. He sent me an email afterward, and he said, uh, this has changed everything for me. I can hardly wait to go to work on Monday. I think geophysics has been made new for me. And I have heard variations of that kind of comment from emergency room doctors and emergency uh, 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 helicopter pilots, uh, people who clean up office buildings, um, uh, the Walmart greeter at my local Walmart, uh, who has been so excited about this whole um, uh, the first the sermon, which she didn't believe I was really going to ask her anything anything to do with God, and that her job mattered at all to God. Uh, but then to see it become uh, the sermon that got posted online and the video, and now the book, and now the book is you know being talked about all over the place. And Shirley's story as a Walmart greeter, imaging and a, a hospitable God who wants us to help us find what we need. Um, is going everywhere. So, yeah, 90% of those who've helped on these sermons have been uh, dramatically, um, uh, I think, honored, and uh, and their eyes have opened to a, to a new way of uh, knowing God at work. So where did the idea then come up to compare our jobs to a parable? I mean, because Jesus was really great at parables. I mean, he was really great at communicating stories that the average person whether they were literate or illiterate, could remember that, that they, it would resonate with them. And, and the majority of his parables were marketplace-focused parables. 
where, I mean, where did you get the idea to compare people's jobs to parables? And, well, and, and, go ahead. What you just said there, Jim, uh, many of his parables were marketplace-based parables. And, you know, I grew up in the church, and I had heard all these parables all my life preached on Sundays, and they were always, in my estimation, uh, a, a narrative means within to pack a small spiritual or moral ethical truth uh, that I was supposed to get through the story. And it really occurred to me in the last few years that um, maybe the marketplace stuff is also revelatory. Maybe God really does have uh, something to say about, uh, or something to say about himself through, through what's good about shrewd management practices or the, the ferocity with which a pearl merchant will go to get that perfect pearl, uh, etc., etc., the way a shepherd cares. Um, maybe, maybe they're more than just illustrations. They're actually little revelatory icons that God means for us to hold in our hands and, and look at and, and look through to see his face. I, I love that. And as people start to understand how doing their jobs really, it, it really is a demonstration and just another part of God for us to understand. It, it, it's just incredible. Is there, this is kind of a trick question, is there any job too small and insignificant for God? Yeah, well, if in my understanding of our God, uh, via our Christian faith, uh, God is a God who... Uh, who includes the last, the lost, the least, the small, uh, who, who comes to human beings, God infinite, taking on human flesh, born in a backwater village, um, uh, scorned, looked down upon, um, washed feet, um, and, if, and, 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 and hung around with people who were seen as sinners and tax collectors and losers. Um, I mean, if that is all true, then, then surely there is no job too small or insignificant for God. And if my you know, merely preaching a few dozen vocations is any indication, uh, I can tell you that the smallest jobs, the ones that society most uh, denigrates and doesn't value, are those where there has been profound truth in the preaching moment as a pastor and in our congregation. When I preached on an Easter weekend about the parable of a sanitation worker, then a, a job that's overlooked, right? A sanitation worker can do their job. People often don't even see them, right? Um, look down upon. Um, so Christ-like in, in that way of a look down upon vocation. But they, they are made in the image of a God who takes out the trash to make room for the new. Um, every time we clean, and, and uh, whether in your home or at work or professionally in your job, um, every time you do that and that good feeling of a job well done and a clean space uh, hits you, um, uh, to me that's a, that's a pointer. or That has to be in, in some small way a pointer to a, to a God who, who cleans up the universe, who's cleaning up everything and, uh, in, in order to make room for his new. Just yesterday I saw that the Houston mayor talking about his, one of his number one priorities was getting all of that trash out of their city. If they don't get all of that off the roadsides, there are going to be all kinds of health uh, problems in, in Houston. And, and that, that is true of any city. Uh, we're, we're not for this unseen, um, not respected vocation of people cleaning up the garbage, um, again, in a godlike way so that we can have life and flourish and be healthy. Where would we be? You tell that to a cleaner, you tell that to someone cleaning up in, in the food court at the mall, and I've done that once or twice, and, and you could just see their eyes open up, that there really is something sacred even there. And when you look at the history of a sanitation worker, and you look at, I've read it about New York City, and how the every alleyway, every byway was just, there was garbage everywhere, and there was 
tons of disease everywhere because the rats were carrying the disease. And, and by those sanitation workers taking the time to clean it up, it, it, it transformed the city. It brought life where there was death. Yeah. And, and there you go. Sorry. I should have, you know, I, I, maybe I could write a book someday. Hey, Probably not. I, you can come preach that sermon next Sunday. Oh, I'd love that. I've <laughs> never been to Calgary, so I'd love that. But here's, before I go on to the rest of the questions I've got for today, I know you've written another book. The book called The Day Metallica Came to Church. I know it's not the book you're promoting today. We're promoting your brand new book, Every Job a Parable. But I, I, I was so intrigued by, was that like a sermon that you did that you decided that would be a fun book? I mean, what was that book about? Yeah, well, and connected to what I said earlier, we were kind of listening for God's whispers, uh, the Spirit ushering or speaking truth everywhere in pop culture. Uh, one of the places that was suggested to me by a, a young uh, teenage boy in my congregation was Metallica, his favorite band, and I had sort of committed to doing it before I knew what his favorite band was. Um, I'm not a metal fan per se, but as I listened to every single lyric of the band, I found them quoting, literally quoting, uh, the Old Testament many times, and uh, and then um, more metaphorically uh, quoting or or um, echoing uh, prophetic anger at uh, consumerism and how our world is broken and relationships are, are not the way they should be. And so I basically, uh, di- I did, I preached a Sunday uh, sermon on, on Metallica and the Scriptures, always the Scriptures, the Scriptures and work, the Scriptures and Metallica, um, but how they were like the Old Testament prophets. And Metallica heard about it, and they sent a warner music camera crew to our church to film the service that that morning. I got a call the Saturday night before from the uh, Warner saying, hey, uh, you Pastor John preaching on Metallica, and I thought they were going to sue me. That's what I was thinking, yeah. (laughs) But they wanted to record it. The drummer, Lars Ulrich, uh, was intrigued, and he'd heard from a local rock radio station that this was happening, and uh, yeah, Metallica came to church uh, in a way and and watched a sermon on them uh, as a band. There's something about naming uh, even little shards of sacredness in the world. Um, yeah, and I'm not saying Metallica's uh, their saints. Of course not. None of us are. But there's something about the process of naming God's revelation, His truth uh, in the world, that um, to me has a powerful uh, capacity to witness, uh, even as it honors um, God moving in people's lives, often people who aren't explicitly Christian, but who still, because God's sun shines on all of us and rain falls on all of us in his world, and all people belong to God, that somehow God even anonymously is working in their lives. When you can name that vocationally or through pop culture or through all the things um, I've done uh, over the years, um, i found uh, people are profoundly impacted in being honored that way, and, and it often will then uh, yield to them asking a question, like, where's that come from? And then opens up a larger conversation. <laughs> I got to believe that you're probably one out of about a million or two or three million pastors that has preached about Metallica. I love that. I love that. All right. So back to the book, Every Job a Parable by John Van Sloten, our guest today. John, on page 12, right at the beginning of the book, you say this. According to the Bible, Jesus is the one through whom and for whom all things were made. The one who is now holding all things together. There's a great science conversation for you. That that God particle one. Including you and what you do. We say we believe these basic truths about who Jesus is, and yet most of the time we go about our daily work as though he is not there. We barely give him 
the time of the day. We pay him lip service by limiting his presence at work to issues of morality, work ethic, or witnessing. In many ways, perhaps out of ignorance or willful denial or sloth, we, we, we refuse to give him lordship over our jobs. We forget that Jesus calls his followers to give their whole lives to him every moment of every day. Christ loves us so much, he could never be satisfied with anything less. I love that final line. Mm. Christ loves us so much, they could never be satisfied with any, anything less than everything. Why is it so critical that every Christ follower understand how God feels about our work? Yeah, uh, yesterday I was reading uh, some old catechisms that were part of uh, our denomination's faith history, and a very old one called the Genevan Catechism, which John Calvin, believe it or not, uh, was a part of, um, asks what our chief purpose in life is as human beings, and, and the answer is to know God, and then to enjoy Him forever. And uh, if 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 our calling, if this all in, lose your life to find it, um, uh, eternal glory that we're being prepared for, calling, if if this amazing grace and love of God is 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 made up of a knowing of that God, um, not perfectly, but 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 more and 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 more deeply and more and more places, um, every hour of every day. If ultimately that's what a new heaven and earth are going to be like, and this earth is a offering foretaste of that, then. Yeah, during the one-third of the time most of us work, then surely that must be a place where we can know him, too. So, yeah, I think uh, uh, to know him is it would be the reason it's absolutely critical for us to understand that, that God feels this way about our work and that we're like a working God in the things that we're uniquely good at and, uh, and in, in the ways we image him. And the next generation, the millennials and the digital gen, they get this because they, you know, why would I put my trust in a faith in a God who doesn't have anything to do with my work? They're they're like, show me, because if it's real, it should impact everything. Yet those of us Generation Xers and Boomers and even traditionalists have been very good at compartmentalizing our faith on our work. And this next generation is like, no, if my faith doesn't apply to everything I do, then what's the point? Yeah, the, Bar- the Barnett Group did a study in 2013. What are the five reasons millennials are staying at church? And number four was a robust theology of vocation. So they've measured what you just said, Jim. Um, it has to apply to my work. Uh, you know, empty or isolated or island-like doctrines that I hear once a week um, uh, just uh, isn't enough. But I would argue that that's for more than just millennials. That should, God doesn't just want millennials to know him all the time. <laughs> he wants all of us, uh, radio interviewers and pastors and writers and everyone else. I just think that they're a fairly discerning generation. They've just, they're, they're not impressed with religion. They really, they want, it's either real and it's all in, or it, it's just religion and like, well, they kind of blow it off. And what's it like in your church? You're in Calgary, Alberta. You know, talk to me about what, what your church, what you're talking about the theology of work all the time in your, in your sermons. How, do you guys have a fairly wide generational uh, grouping of people going to your church? 
Our church was, uh, it was, uh, is, but I, uh, I am, uh, I have just moved out of uh, formal full-time pastorate to become okay. a writer and teacher. I'm teaching at a local seminary a course on how to preach vocation in a couple of months, and I'm awesome. speaking at conferences and doing stuff like this and writing a third book um, uh, unrelated to vocation. Um, so I've, I've sort of felt the personal vocational call to make more room in my life to get this this big idea of God in the world, known through pop culture, through vocation, through science, through work, in all of these ways, um, to make that known uh, more through things like what we're doing. But yeah, no, fairly young group and fairly uh, open to the idea of vocation. Um, it took a while for people to get there. I mean, when you preach a geophysicist, and there's only five in our particular congregation. That's a um, lot. That's a lot of geophysicists Calgary. in a congregation. This is Houston North. So uh, okay. is, oh. we're, we're a bit of the oil industry's head office uh, up here in Canada. John, as you wrote this book and as you shared, I mean, you said you, you did these sermons over seven or eight years. I, I got to believe we've got a lot of people tuning in right now that just tune in after the bottom of the half hour and they're, they're in their cars or in traffic or whatever. It's just share where the idea for you to come up and, and comparing our job to be a parable, a story of something we can learn about God. Yeah, again, um, I had been living uh, into a worldview that God speaks through the Bible, and through our knowledge of the Bible, we can see and discern God speaking through creation, through the world, um, and in relation to work, through our vocational image-bearing. So everybody, through what they do, and maybe in particular what they do just right, or they do well, or uniquely do well, uh, in my theological worldview, they, you image God when you have great hand-eye coordination, or you're good with colors, or you're, you're great at uh, solving problems, or you're good at uh, physically building something, or demolishing something, etc., etc. And uh, through these sermons, uh, I've learned that as you start to unpack those particular, particular actions, there are often connections to the nature of God, an attribute of God, a God who cleans up after our lives, a God who built the universe, a God who, uh, through whom everything was made, including that person, um, that these connections that you could make, and that seeing those connections for the first time, that people who were helping me uh, write uh, sermons on other topics, uh, who then came alongside to write sermons on their jobs, that they they were like par- parables or icons. Icons were things in the history of the church through which we would look to see or feel or know the presence of God. Um, I would have these quasi-mystical moments where through them, I would sense, well, God's a lot like that when a geophysicist is able to see unseen things the way they do their work, or an emergency doctor has a, has a passion to resuscitate and bring back to life. Well, God's like that, too. And, yeah, then a whole bunch of sermons, and then a whole bunch of sermons come together uh, in a book. So let's just take, I mean, I, I, there are so many great corollaries in, in between jobs and, and stories about God, but let's just start with the electrician. Your electrician, Corey, I believe it was his name. Yep. Talk about what we can learn about God from what an electrician does. Yeah. Um, 
an electrician, I learned. Um, it often starts with a question. Uh, most of these vocational interviews, uh, research, exegetical meetings, the question is, what do you love about what you do? What's just right, Corey, when, you, when you're working on a site and, and, uh, and, and you're just having a blue ribbon, blue ribbon electrician day, uh, what, what's it for you? And he said, uh, yeah, for me, it's, you know, when you've done all your wiring, wiring, you've got all the receptacles in, the lights are in, the building is done, the power is to the building, and you flip that switch for the first time and the lights come on and you see this beautiful new carpet that the carpet layers have laid and the paint on the walls and the furniture the whole place just sort of sings and he's a singer so he went ah in that moment of the light having the power to illumine the goodness of creation reality uh, was a profound one for him in the moment he finished saying all of that, another electrician who was in the room jumped and he says, well, I like that too. He says, but what I like is when you bring the wiring to a big overhead crane in an industrial type application. And that crane is beautifully engineered and I admire those engineers who designed it, but it's not moving anywhere until I bring that wire to that thing. And then all of a sudden you see it humming along that beam and moving that product. To me, that is just the moment for me as an electrician. And as I heard them both say that. I was reminded of the God who is the God who brings the energy of his spirit to creation, who breathed into the dust in order to bring to life humanity. Um, The God who is an energizing force that allows a thing to fully be itself um, so that the world can flourish, so that humanity can have a home, so that life can be as it should be. So this this idea of connecting power to a thing uh, so that it can be more itself was a profound one for me. And through those electricians, I you know thought a little bit more about uh, the God who does exactly that by his spirit. I, I actually quoted in that sermon uh, from the Genesis passage where God created the light and the night, and, and uh, he called the light day and, and the darkness night, except I uh, uh, paraphrased it a bit and said, and and he called the light on and the night off. And uh, in a way, electricians uh, kind of retell uh, a bringing of light and energy to the world story every day when they do their work. And I love that picture. Love it. I loved the fact you know, when you look when when they talked about the generator or the, the the motor for that crane, and you're like, "Yep, it's really pretty. Looks really nice. It's not going to go anywhere." Yeah. So you bring life to it, just like most of us are completely with, without Christ. We got nothing, and all of a sudden, with Christ, life comes alive in us just like the jam just like the electrician love that all right let's talk about the automotive mechanic I, I, I again you did such an awesome job in this book bringing out this stuff as a parable what can we learn about god from an automotive mechanic um well one of the things that comes to mind as i think back to that meeting with with paul from tony's auto here in calgary uh he talked about um he talked about how when he fixes cars, he can often go into uh, the front seat of a car and turn turn the key, start the engine, and uh, and he's listening. And uh, I remember him saying he can actually feel through his feet how the engine, how the pistons are hitting and how that engine is running. And uh, so he's diagnosing with his ears and he's, you know, uh, thinking through what the customer has said about what's not working properly. But when he talked about being able to uh, know what was wrong through his feet, (laughs) I, for the first time uh, in my uh, life, thought about different ways of knowing truth. Um, uh, 
uh, I, you know, as I grow up in a church and, you know, going to your catechism classes and memorizing your Bible verses, it was all a fairly academic and rational um, uh, thing, this, this faith of mine, but um, in a way of knowing. But this guy could know from because of how it smelled and how it felt through his feet. And I started to think about us embodied human beings who God made, right? What does it mean for a mechanic to know as he's kind of turning the wrench and, and adjusting an old-school carburetor uh, with a screwdriver, yeah, to know when that engine has fallen into sync, even as he's listening at the same time, even as he's kind of smelling and aware bodily of what's going on. So that mechanic, um, when we preach that, uh, brings uh, mechanical truth, automotive uh, restoration. He was a, a parable of automotive restoration. And yes, he wanted to help that that person have a vehicle so their life can flourish, and he's an honest and ethical guy and does his work with integrity. But the actual work itself was the surprise for him. I, I know God when I'm good at fixing things, um, which I'm not good at fixing, and so maybe I appreciated him more because of that. Well, yeah, I mean, fix <laughs> 31 years ago, I got a car, and I tried fixing it myself, and it cost me more money to fix it myself than having somebody to do it, and I realized right then... There are guys that know how to do things, well, guys and gals that know how to do things that I don't know how to do, and it's always cheaper to pay them to do what they know how to do than for me to try to do it. And, and Jim, and again, sorry, Jim, uh, the, 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 this is so important for the mechanic who, you know, may not be academically oriented, maybe, but um, I, I just, last week, I was, uh, I was walking home in, in front of my house, and a guy across the street who I'd met a month before, he, he was fixing a big machine in the alley, and I'd met him, and we started to talk about his work, and he, was, he could fix anything. He, he couldn't read. He had a learning disability. He never learned how to read. I'm not good at book learning, he said, but he could fix anything. And we had this great conversation, and at the end of the conversation, I give him a copy of my book, wait for it, and uh, he accepts it, and, and then he goes home. His wife reads the entire book to him, and then he reads the section which uh, talks about what we're talking about here, that there are human beings who are made, who, who may not be able to do anything academically or excel in those areas, but who can look at a problem, a physical brokenness in a machine in the world, and they just know how to fix it. They can translate a solution from their brains through their arms to their hands to those tools and, and bring that thing back to life. And, and bring restoration, and, and that speaks of God in all kinds of powerful ways. God doesn't just heal us through a doctrinal understanding of who Jesus is. God, God heals us through how Christ brings restoration to all things, and revelations on making all things new. God is planning on making everything new in the way it should be, and so when a guy can do what that guy does, he's like God in that particular way. <laughs> I love that. As we talk today with John Van Sloten about his brand new book, Every Job a Parable. John, as you studied these people's different jobs, did you get to go on location to, to meet with people? Did you as a pastor go to their ministry place? Best part of the job, Jim, field trips. Uh, as a pastor, get me out of my office and into their place of work and, and not every time, but I have had meetings on uh, the 15th floor of downtown office buildings on the back of a farmer's uh, equipment as he's taking in the harvest, uh, in a judge's quarters, in the local courthouse, 
um, on the street, where the electrician works, in the mechanic's garage, uh, in the hairstylist salon chair. I did that interview over about 10 years as this woman, uh, Anita, cut my hair. And uh, a whole bunch of places in between. And uh, that's kind of a cool thing, too, because as a pastor trying to name God's presence vocationally in the world, it, it's kind of an incarnational act. I'm going to where people are at in order to uh, bring uh, this naming truth and, and, and try to unpack where God is at work in that place. So, yeah, it's fun, and uh, and I got to get paid to have fun and exegete these sermons uh, in the field. I love that. I love that. The exegete thing, most people are going, I have no idea what he just said. Yeah, but research. I love what you Research. Oh, research. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's just really quick hit a couple of other ones. Let's just go to the hairstylist. Let's jump right there. Because she said an amazing thing. When, when she said one of the most powerful things, when people sit in her chair and they say, what do you want me to do? They say back to her. Go ahead. I'll let you fill in the blank. Uh, yeah. Do what you think needs to, I'm going to paraphrase here, I don't have it in front of me, but what? yeah, do do what you need to be done because I trust you. Right. Um, yeah, make, make, okay, so I hear that, right? And, and you know, for years I sat there and I've gone to get my hair cut because I, I feel a bit more myself when she cuts it the way she does and she reshapes it and takes away all of the things that are looking disproportionate and out of control. And, uh, you know, I go, we go to a hairstylist in order to be made aesthetically new. And, you know, there are problems with an over-focus on that, but innately it's good that we are made new and that we're cleaned and cleaned up um, in a hairstylist salon uh, chair. Um, we go there, and she uses sharp objects near my eyes, you know, and I really do trust her um, uh, with my aesthetic and, and, and my look and, and, and my look in terms of how it defines who I am. And how can all of those uh, image-bearing um, ways of being, vocationally being, not be pointers to a God who... I'm called to trust. I'm called to sit in this chair and let him make me new. Um, a God who knows uh, my shape and, and what would be best for me and my color and what would fit best. You know, and I'm sort of playing between the hair, a hairstylist and, and spiritual matters. But um, when she does what she does, she's acting in God-like ways, making people new. And, yeah, when she heard that and and. and she constantly hears people say, I trust you. I mean, they come, some customers, she says, come in, they're just in a tizzy. I don't know what to do. You've got to fix this. Um, do whatever you think. Uh, to me, that's a coming to Jesus moment, <laughs> hairstylist-wise. And, uh, and she, she takes it that way and, uh, and has found a kind of new sacredness with every, with every cut in her work. She sold uh, eight books through her <laughs> salon in the last month, um, telling people about the idea of, of God being present in her work, but also in all the other jobs that the book talks about. And I think that's an important point in all of this. You can know God in your job through that unique way you image God, but you can also know God through all the other workers that surround you, your right, life. You highlight nephrologists, janitors, judges, accountants or auditors, emergency room medical professionals, firefighters, labor negotiators, Edward the towel folder, and we'll talk about that in a minute, the farmer, the server, restaurant server, so many of these things. Talk to me about Edward and his towel folding experience with you. 
Okay. Well, my editor, as he's, uh, we're working our way through the book, he goes, okay, this is all nice. You've picked all of these jobs, but what about the disabled? And then he writes in an email, what about a person with Down syndrome? And he, of course, had no idea that I have a son, a 25-year-old son with Down syndrome, part of the God's calling process into the ministry for me. And I thought, oh, my, <laughs> yeah, I should include a person with Down syndrome. Every job, even a volunteer job done by a disabled boy uh, at the local YMCA, even that is a parable. And so we went swimming one day to the, to the Y where Edward volunteers, and as we're paying to get in, Edward takes off down a back hallway, and he, he takes a whole bunch of turns. I have no idea where he's taking off to, but he's running to the laundry in the bowels of that building and where there are a couple of staffers who, when I finally catch up they're greeting edward and they're you know he i can see he has friends and he has a real job he's pulling towels out of the dryers and he's folding them and he's folding them fast and he's, he's, he won't even lift his head. He is just doing his job, and he's showing off to his dad how good of a worker he is. And I cannot tell you, as the father of a child with a disability, how proud I felt of my son in that moment, right? And there were tears coming down my face as my boy, who struggled to do a lot of things in his life, was showing me what he could do. And I thought for a moment then, looking back on that, that surely this is how God feels about all of our work. He's, he's proud. He's proud of you doing your radio show. He's proud of your listeners doing the thing they do. I mean, Edward was just folding towels. And if a mere human sinful father like me could feel such a compelling love as I did for that work, being done by that worker, then surely the God who made us all feels that for all of us, whatever work we do. We're talking today with John Van Sloten about his book, Every Job a Parable. And John, that was absolutely a moving part to the book. I mean, I just loved that transparency and vulnerability as you shared that story. And even as you shared it right now, I can just tell that you're so proud of your son and that he found something that he is not only good at, but he's excellent at. Yeah. And, and that he was super excited. I love, I just picture, I was picturing you running down the hallway, trying to keep up with your son, trying to figure out where he's taking you. And you're all worried that he's taking you somewhere illegal. And then you all of a sudden find him in his sweet spot. Mm-hmm. And, and you probably, you and your bride probably prayed for that sweet spot for years. Oh Lord, show us what Edward can do. Show us why you brought him here and gave him to us. That was that that ministered to so many people. I am sure, and it will again in the future. Thanks. I I, I just want to thank you for doing that. Okay, let's just talk. Let's pick one more because we're running out of time. How the most random one? How about the restaurant server? Because you really and dear to the restaurant servers, and you really lift them up in what the, the job they do. Talk to us about what we can learn about God from the server. Okay, the reason I endear them is because I have been uh, woefully unaware and, um, and, and, and looked down upon, and I was that customer who just had to have it right and complained when it wasn't perfect. And, uh, I mean, this is my, my nature was that way. And somehow, for, for me, that I was my worst with servers, right? If people wanted to go out and get a free meal because something went wrong, they'd invite me because I'd find something. 
I mean, what a horrible person who would who would be that way. And so when my daughter uh, was a late teen and she started serving, um, she began to teach me about the nature of the work and how difficult that work is. And you're on your feet all day and you're running from the kitchen to the table and you're trying to anticipate people's needs. And, you're, and she just unpacked all of the, the scope of work. And, and then I, th- I saw through this serving nature all kinds of attributes of a serving nature of God and Christ. And, you know, the server's image of God who takes good things from, from God's kitchen and, and brings it to our table. Um, and, 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 and everything started to change for me, and I started to tip. I started to tip generously as a result of that. And so, yeah, seeing God in the server, which is one of those jobs, yeah, maybe not always esteemed in our culture, um, it, it proved to be one of those smaller jobs that, in fact, exemplified and imaged God in, in the most profound ways. Jesus is a serving Jesus. He did wash his disciples' feet. He did serve them at the meal. Uh, he served them with his life, um, bringing God's goodness uh, to them. So every time you're served, today, if you're going out to a restaurant and someone is serving you, there's a little parable playing out right there with that person. And if you listened, I think you'd hear Jesus whisper. And then give them a big tip. Uh, That's right, a big tip. It. That's right. John Van Sloten, thanks for being on I Work For Him today. Thanks for sharing your story, Every Job a Parable. Thanks for living your life out as a pastor, encouraging guys like me to give God glory with my job. John Van Sloten, thank you. Jim, thank you. Hey, check out John's book online or get a copy. We still have a copy you can get today. Just email me, jim at iworkforhim.com. But check it out online, Every Job a Parable by John Van Sloten. It's a must-read It will encourage every one of you in your positions. And also, check us out online, iworkforhim.com. You've been listening to I Work For Him with your host, Jim Brangenberg. I'm a Christ follower. My workplace, it's my mission field. But ultimately, I work for him.